0: 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 to 15. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord, In knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich." And in this matter, I give my judgment. This benefits you who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well, so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need, so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. right, well, it's really good to be back. And um, as you know, we've been on holidays and it was actually, it was a real blessing. While we were away, we, we, we always love meeting up with other Christians and we love going to church and catching up with other folk. And um, when we were at the Sunshine Coast, we went to the Glasshouse Country Baptist Church at Biwa, and we met up with a f- few folk there. They've actually been listening to the Bush Disciples podcast every week. And when they saw us there, they said, oh. Well, that explains why there was no message this last week. We, we noticed there was no message. So there you go. So people in other places are using the stuff. And um, it was really good to catch up with them. And so if you're listening to this, hello, Mark and Sue and Barnabas and Paul. Um, Barnabas isn't his real name. It's actually Brett. But we changed it. when They actually vi- just visited us out at Begonia one time. And there's a whole blokes, bunch of blokes there and... Barnabas was the only one, well, Brett was the only one without a name from the Bible, so we gave him one. So now that's his name. Anyway, I haven't preached for three Sundays in a row, and so early this week I had to revisit where we're up to and get back into where we're up to and what's the next message going to be. But before I did, I just did my daily Bible readings. So every day, I just read a little bit from this section of the Bible and a little bit from this section of the Bible and a little bit from this section of the Bible and just work my way through it as we go. And this is what I read on, on, on that day. I read from Isaiah chapter 5, and it said, "'Woe to those who join house to house and who add field to field until there is no more room, and you are made to dwell alone in the midst of the land.'" And then it went on to talk about how God is going to judge those people who have been greedy and selfish and and the wicked people and and the drunkards. and, And then he said in verse 17, Then shall the lambs graze as in their pasture, and nomads shall eat among the ruins of the rich. And then I turned to Matthew chapter 16, and I read, For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? And then in Matthew chapter 17, Jesus was talking about paying the temple tax and whether it's right to do this. And then in Proverbs chapter three, I read, honour the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. All, right. all of those Bible readings, all of that came just in my daily Bible readings where I was up to at that point. And about that point, Robin arrived home with a mail and there was one letter in the mailbox that day and I haven't opened it yet. Um, I probably actually won't bother opening it, but written on the front of the envelope, it said, special invitation to, to a stewardship summit 2020, grow a generous church. Right, so still talking about money. And, and I'm thinking, wow, God might be trying to tell me something. And then I opened the scriptures to see what, we're going to be, what I was going to be preaching on this week. And it was all about giving. And in fact, it goes on for a whole two chapters. This morning, we just talk, took the, the first part of chapter one. Um, I think it's going to be a total of two or three weeks that we spend on, on giving and generosity. Now, some people would say, oh, that was all just a coincidence, right? That was just a coincidence. Some people would say, no, no, God is speaking to you. And, well, yeah, I know God is speaking to me. I have no doubt that God is speaking to us because every time we read the Scriptures, God is speaking to us if only we're willing to hear what what he's wanting to say to us. Or maybe this could just be an example of how often the scriptures openly teach us and openly challenge us about what we do with our money. You know, for many of us, the last part of us to be saved is our hip pocket. And so we shouldn't really be that surprised that Jesus had a lot to say about money, but not only Jesus, the, the Old Testament has a lot to say about what we do with our money. And and the letters to the churches say a lot about what we do with our money as well. So let's set the scene for today's Bible reading. Most Christians will have a certain passion for for a certain cause that they like to support. And it's pretty obvious what Paul's passion was. Um, The Apostle Paul had a great love and he had a great concern for the Christians in Jerusalem. The Christians in Jerusalem were being persecuted really hard. And usually with persecution comes poverty. And that was the case here. Many of these people had been cut off from being allowed to work. And because they weren't allowed to work, they weren't able to support themselves. Why weren't they allowed to work? Because they were Christians. And they said, you can't work because you're a Christian. And several places in the New Testament, we can catch little glimpses of Paul organising a collection here or organising a collection there for it to be taken as a gift to to the Christians in Jerusalem. They were in dire need. And that was something that really tugged at Paul's heartstrings. And so he had the practice of encouraging the Gentile churches to support their Jewish brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. Anyway, on one of Paul's prior prior visits to to the church in Corinth, he'd shared this need with them. And at that time, they were really keen to to chip in. And and even though they didn't personally know those Christians in Jerusalem, they did know that, okay, the body of Christ is suffering and so they began getting a collection together to take to those to that to those christians who were suffering in jerusalem so they began the work but then something changed now so far in this letter we've seen that that when paul moved on to, to plant more churches in other places some false apostles moved into town and it seemed like they were running paul down and it. It seems like they may have also been making a bit of a claim on the Corinthian church and and getting them, getting financial support from that Corinthian church for themselves. And so the Corinthians became a little bit distrustful of Paul and maybe their money was getting redeployed to support these false apostles. But regardless of why, the, the result was that the collection that they'd begun getting together each week stalled. They stopped giving and the collection wasn't growing, To the collection that they're going to take off. You see, it's not as easy as today where you can just do a bank transfer and the money just turns up. They, they're actually putting it a little bit aside each week and then they're going to take this, this parcel of money off to the church in Jerusalem. Right? So, so that sets the scene, it had stalled. So, generosity, giving, why do we do it? Or maybe you might want to know, why do those dastardly preachers keep on preaching about it? Why do they keep on telling us about it? Uh, I, I actually heard one pastor of a megachurch explaining his preaching program, and he had a four-week rotation, and so the first week, he would give an evangelical message. He'd be t- giving a message that's trying to convince people to, to give their hearts to Jesus, to, to become believers. And then the next week, he'd give a message on how to share your faith. And then the next week, he'd give a message on spiritual gifts and, and how, how you can be involved in ministry and how each person is to be involved in ministry. And then on the fourth week, he'd give a message on, on tithing or giving All right, so every four weeks, he gave his church a message on tithing or giving. By the way, tithing is an Old Testament principle of giving back to God a tenth of your gross income. So that was his principle, the way he did it. Uh, In most Pentecostal churches today, you'll get a message every single week. Uh, Just before the offering gets taken up, they'll give you an offering message telling you why it's a good idea for you to put your money in the offering. Um, you'll notice we don't do that here. We're not going to bring a plate around and hold it in front of you and shake it, hoping that you put something in it. If you want to put money in the box, there's there's a box down there on, at the back on the smoko table. Or you can just do what most people do who are supporting Bush disciples and just do a bank transfer, set up a regular bank transfer, and it just happens. And... I don't know if you guys probably don't know this, but actually more than half of the Bush Disciples' income comes from people away from St George, um, people who are listening in on the podcast or watching on the videos. And I just want to say to those people who are supporting us and doing that, thank you. Um, we couldn't do what we're doing without your support. So so thank you for that. Um, but. When it comes to money and when it comes to giving, I only teach about this stuff as often as what it comes up in the Bible readings, right? I don't go looking for it, it's just, I just preach on whatever it is in the Bible readings when we get to it. And that way I only get to bring it up as often as God wants to bring it up. Wow, that was loud. (laughs) I only bring it up as as often as God wants to bring it up. But the thing is, God brings it up pretty often. And today's Bible reading, I think, stands alone in, in the depth of theology about why we give. Um, when we give, it's an expression of the grace of God. You know, most often we sort of think we give in response to the grace of God. God has been gracious to us, so therefore we're going to give as a response to that. But, but we're learning here that it's even greater than that. This, When we give, it is actually an expression of the grace of God. God is doing this. So why do people give? Well, you know, it's not only Christians who give. Uh, people out in the community, when they see a need that tugs their heartstrings, whatever they give too. Why do people in general give? Well, some people wanna be able to make a difference. And on one level, that might be a really noble intention, to to make a difference for somebody. But it does also actually play into our own vanity and our own sense of self-importance. Oh, look at the difference I was able to make for this person with my money. Some people give because they wanna leave a legacy. That means they want their name to live on with some kind of philanthropic achievement that they've made, right? And that's why a lot of people with a lot of money, when they give, it's given in their name. So you might hear of some wonderful things that these organisations do. So, for example, we've got the Bill Gates Foundation. They do some amazing stuff, helping out in third world countries and stuff. um, Wanting to leave a legacy. Uh, Nobel Peace Prize, Rockefeller Foundation, uh, locally here in our district, or not our immediate district, but in our state, we have the, the Berghofer uh, Medical Research Centre and so on. So, we have all of these things. But it's wanting to, to leave a legacy. An example of that at a church level is sometimes you'll walk into a church and you'll see a plaque on the church given in the name of so-and-so or, or a plaque on a pew or a plaque on a table in memory of so-and-so. It, it's a legacy that we're trying to achieve. Some people feel, uh, give because they want to feel good about themselves. Right. Some people have got enough money. OK, I want to spend my money on what's going to make me feel good. And I feel good by giving to somebody. And they might even be able to achieve a tax deduction as they do it. Some people give because they want to be part of something bigger. They want to be part of a movement. Like you'll see a telephone on the television or something where over a couple of hours, millions of dollars will be no- donated to a certain cause by hundreds of thousands of people to aid those who are less fortunate themselves than themselves. And usually it'll be done in, in response to some kind of tragedy or disaster. But the reason they do it is, is because they want to be part of something bigger. Some give to relieve their sense of guilt. And so we see a picture of a malnourished, sickly child and a message that, hey, if you just give $50 a month, You can lift this child up out of poverty and there you are, you're you're, you're drinking your cup of coffee that probably costs more than a bag of rice that would feed that child for a week and you feel guilty. But no, I don't need to feel guilty because I'm, I'm sponsoring a child. I can have 10 cups of coffee in a week and not feel guilty. There's all sorts of reasons why people give. Most of most of the reasons that people let's be honest, most of the reasons that people are generous with their money are good reasons. But Christians give as an expression of the grace of God. And for Christians, there's all sorts of giving. There's the regular giving that we do to, to, to our local church to, to support ministry. There's regular giving that we give to other Christian missions. And then there's giving to the poor. Some people think, oh, I'll give to one or the other. No, we should be giving to all. But what we're looking at today, um, it can be applied to any of these. But the specific instance of giving here, I think is a very important one that we should never overlook. And it's supporting other Christians who are in dire need. As Christians give to other Christians who are in dire need, this is an expression of the grace of God. So, as Paul introduces this Corinthian church to the topic of giving, he, he starts out by giving them a really good example for them to look up to. And the example that he gives them is that of the Macedonian church. Now the Macedonian church, they were being persecuted themselves. They were going through severe affliction. And because of this, they were going through extreme poverty. But you know what, when God does a work in our hearts, God has a way of turning everything upside down and making everything seem not as it is. So they were in a severe test of affliction And yet they had an abundance of joy. And in their extreme poverty, they weren't just a little bit poor, they were extremely poor. The, the, The Greek word that's used there actually means rock bottom. right? They were rock bottom poor. They had nothing. In their extreme poverty, they overflowed with a wealth of generosity. Now that, That doesn't mean that that they were able to give a lot numerically or numistically, I suppose, would be the proper word. But compared to what they had, they gave a lot. They gave according to their means. And Paul actually says that they went beyond their means. They gave more than they could afford. So as, as Paul's describing what this Macedonian church had done in their generosity, It reminds me of the widow's mite. You know how Jesus and his disciples were were there at the temple treasury and they're watching all these rich people put in large sums of money. But along, along comes this poor woman and she just drops in two small copper coins. And only one person really noticed that. And Jesus said to his disciples, see that woman there? She gave more than anybody because they gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, gave everything that she had. So that's what I'm reminded of, I'm reminded of that widow's might, the way that this Macedonian church had given. Now here's the thing with giving. As a preacher, I really I really balk at giving a hard hitting message on giving. I, I don't ever want to be that preacher, you know, that preacher that you, you go away with the feeling, he just wants my money. I don't ever want to be that person. And yet, I know the importance of giving. As disciples of Jesus, you and I should be really generous. It's the way of Jesus, and it should be the way of his disciples, and so when I'm preaching, I should leave you in no doubt about that. If generosity is not part of our character, then there is something seriously deficient in our relationship with God. I'm going to say that again. As Christians, if generosity isn't part of our character, then there is something serious seriously deficient in our relationship with God. And so it's important that I teach this. But if you only start giving because you feel pressured to do it because I've given this message or because you feel like I've just put the guilt trip on you or whatever, you've missed the whole point. This Macedonian church gave of their own accord. Paul didn't make them do it. Paul didn't make them give. They wanted to give. They begged Paul, please let us contribute too. Let us take part in this relief collection. And I get this. There's been times, like I've been a minister for a while, and there's been times when we've had an appeal for something or other, and I've seen some of the people who have given generously, and I've wanted to say to them, you can't afford to give that much away. I've seen that often those who have the least are the first to give and are those who give the most. Some people will give what they can spare. Some people will give what's not going to impact them too negatively or something that's not going to change, impact on their plans for for the future of something they want to buy or something they're trying to pay off while those who have the least give the most. And I want to say to these people, don't give. But I know I can't. Because I know that the Lord is putting it on their heart and they want to give. And that's what it was like with that church in Macedonia. Now, why did they so much... Want to give. Even though in their their extreme poverty, why did they so much want to give? It's because they'd already given themselves to Jesus. Paul said, They didn't give as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord. And then by the will of God to us. See, the reason that they gave what they had was because they had already given themselves to Jesus. Now, you understand this, don't you? What does it mean for you to give yourself to Jesus? It means you give him your everything. You give him your life. You give him your hopes. You give him your dreams. You give him your possessions, you give him your finances, you give him your future, you give everything to Jesus. First, we give ourselves to Christ. And then because we are now his, we give to our brothers and sisters in Christ who are in need. And in that way, we are the grace of God in action. If I have given myself and if I have given everything that I have to God, this is what we call stewardship in Christian circles, right? So I've given everything I have to God. It might still be in the bank account in my name, but it's God's. And so when those funds get redeployed to support a Christian in need, who's giving to those people? Is it me? No, it's God. It's God who is giving. And so this is the grace of God in action. So a Christian gives everything they have to God. And that way, when we give to those who are in need, this is the grace of God in action. Now, some people find it really hard to give. And I guess the thing that was just glaring me in the face as I was preparing this message is if I feel burdened by giving, if I just don't want to give, and if I look for reasons not to give, and if I look for reasons to keep stuff for myself instead of giving generously, then I really need to ask myself the question, have I actually truly done the first step in giving? Have I truly given myself to Christ? Because to give yourself to Christ means you've given your everything to him. It means that we're no longer administering our own stuff. We're no longer administering stuff for ourselves. We're administering God's stuff. And we're administering it for him. And that's why when you give it, it's an expression of the grace of God. Now, that word grace, the Greek word is actually charis. And yes, that's the word from which we get our word charity. And we give ourselves to Christ because he first gave himself to us. Is there anybody here? who likes getting charity? Anybody likes getting charity? This is a tough question, isn't it? Are there any charity cases here? I'm a charity case. Any charity cases? Too bad. I was hoping more, more than this were saved. You realise to be saved, you've got to be a charity case, right? Charis, grace, charity, it's the same thing. By the grace of God we are saved. Is there any charity cases here today? Half of you are charity cases. Oh, more than half. Yeah, we're charity cases. We are recipients, we do that, recipients of charity. We are recipients of grace. Christ gave himself to us first. Paul says, For you know the grace, you know the charity of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for our sake he became poor so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Now, some people want to think that's talking about dollar stuff. It's not talking about dollar stuff. It's not talking about being financially rich. Christ left his rich, heavenly existence to become so humble to die so that in Christ, we might become spiritually rich. Jesus lifts us up out of the poverty of our human existence and he blesses us with the richness, riches of glory. Now, some people, some people want to talk about dollars. And some people get all caught up in prosperity theology and they look at that verse and they claim Jesus became poor so that we can have lots of money. Some people actually believe that what a godless and spiritually bankrupt that belief that is okay so that was the example of giving expressed by the macedonian church out of their extreme poverty they gave abundantly because they'd already given themselves to christ and as they gave this was an expression of the grace of god in action And so now he turns to the Corinthian church and he urges them to do likewise. He urges them to complete what they'd already begun. Complete this act of grace, he says. Now, the Corinthian church, it was a church full of spiritual gifts. Paul mentions that they excelled in faith, they excelled in speech and knowledge, and they excelled in their zeal or their passion or their earnestness. He says to them, look, you you excel in all of this stuff, but there's something that you're really lacking. You you don't excel in the grace of giving. Now, some folk have the attitude, "Well, well, giving isn't my gift. Giving isn't my gift. I've got other gifts. I do the preaching or I do the Sunday school or I do practical stuff or I go visiting people or whatever. Uh, Giving just isn't my ministry. But the fact is that as a disciple of Jesus, if I'm not giving generously, there is something missing in my relationship with God. And, And Paul really drives this home. And it's almost like Paul is giving them a command you've got to be giving. And that's, it's easy to take it like that. But we get to verse 8, and he actually specifically says, I say this not as a command. And some people go, whew, I thought it was a command. I thought I was had to give there for a moment. Just hang on a bit. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. All right, what he's doing is he's comparing them To the earnestness of the Macedonian church, right? This is like a reality check for the Corinthian church. They thought they had things going pretty well. Here's the reality check. Is your love genuine? The Macedonian church, their love was genuine. We can see that because out of their love, they're giving to their brothers and sisters in Christ. You see, faith isn't faith until it's practical. And love isn't genuine until it's accompanied by actions. We, we learn this in James chapter 2. That there's a famous verse there in James where it says, verse 14, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says that he has faith but does not have, the, have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or a sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace... Be warmed, be filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So, also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. All right? So, how can we know if our love is genuine? How do we know? Jesus said in John chapter 13, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples. If you say that you are. Is that what Jesus said? No. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples because you wear a cross around your neck. Is that what he said? By this, all people will know that you're my disciples. If you go to church on a Sunday. Did he say that? What did he say? By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. That's how, that's how we know that we're disciples of Jesus. We love each other. We love other disciples of Jesus. Authentic disciples of Jesus love other disciples of Jesus. Yeah, you know, I, I meet people and they say, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian, I'm a believer. I just don't like going to church. Really? Why not? Why don't you like going to church? Just don't get on with the people there. Really? You don't love them? You don't love them? How do we know that our love is genuine? So we know that we're disciples of Jesus if we love other disciples of Jesus. How do we know if our love is genuine? We give. We give. And we give generously, right? So it was a year earlier that this Corinthian church had got on board and they decided, yeah, we will contribute to the needs of the saints in Jerusalem, but they'd never finished the collection. You know, sometimes we can be a bit like that. Sometimes we know that God might be wanting us to serve him in some particular way or or he might be wanting us to give to something or to help somebody out or to help a group of people out or whatever. We know that God is wanting us to give and we make the decision, yes, I'm going to give, but for some reason we just never get around to it. And we delay. And we delay. And effectively, we never give. And sometimes we know that the Lord is wanting us to give, but we feel, oh, well, I'm just not in a position to be able to give at the moment. Uh, When I can afford it, then I'll start giving. But you know what? It's not about what we do have or don't have. It's about readiness. It's about willingness. Paul didn't expect them to give what they didn't have. He wanted them to complete their commitment to give out of what they did have. He could see that the issue wasn't that they didn't have what was needed. He could see that the issue was readiness. They didn't have readiness to do it. I remember a story once, a a preacher stood up before his congregation on a Sunday morning. He said, I have some really good news for you and some bad news. The good news is that God has provided all of the finances that we need to meet the budget this year, and the congregation all cheered, "Woohoo!" And he said, and the, and, the, "And the other news I had to share with you is it's still in your pocket." So that's the way it is. Sometimes you know, like God provides everything we need. Sometimes the, the only thing that's lacking is readiness. Verse 12, he says, for if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. But God doesn't expect us to give what we don't have. He only wants us to give what we do have. All God is asking is for readiness to contribute what we do have. It's about giving according to our means. If I have a lot, I should be able to give a lot. If I have a little, well, I can still give a little. And circumstances change. <laughs> How could we not notice that? How could we not know that circumstances change? Like Living in an agricultural region, we know this really well. I mean, we've just gone through an absolutely horrendous drought. We've had some really tough years. People have been lacking in work. Farmers have been lacking in crops. For some people, their income's gone backwards. We've gone through some terribly tough years. And yet some of you, out of your poverty, have given. And you've given generously. And it might not have been as much as what you wanted to give, but you found a way to give anyway because you had a readiness to give. But what's happened in the last three weeks? Or more specifically, in the last week, isn't it amazing just the difference in outlook that this district now has? Jamin, have you got water in your dams at home again now? You have? So the stocker got something to drink again. How long's dad been cutting water? Pumping water for months, yeah, yep. There's been rain, grass is growing, the river's running, dams are filling, Offstream storages are getting filled, cattle prices and sheep prices are booming. I don't think I'm going to be able to afford to eat meat in a few weeks' time. There's going to be plenty of work. There's, people are going to be looking for workers left, right and centre. You're not going to be able to find a house in St George shortly. Situations change. And Paul recognises this. Verse 13, he says, For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need so that their abundance may supply your need that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over. And whoever gathered little had no lack. So there's some good news for you. God does not expect you to give what you don't have. All he wants is for us to have a readiness for us to give what we do have. And then a whole church that has an attitude of generosity, When when a whole church have a readiness to give generously because they've already given themselves to Jesus, there is always enough. There's always enough for ministry. There's always enough for missions. There's always enough to support those we send off to Bible college. There's always enough for us to share with the persecuted church. There's always enough for us to give to our brothers and sisters in Christ who have nothing. When a whole church has the attitude of generosity, there is always enough. Sometimes we'll be supporting other churches that are in need. And at other times, they might be the ones who are supporting us. Now, throughout the drought, I've had people ringing me and saying, hey, our church, we've we've taken up some drought aid. Can we send it out to you guys? And we try and talk about how we can do it. And and for us, it might seem like, oh, I don't wanna receive charity, but this is the way it works. In our time of need, they support us. But when it's their time of need, we support them. And that's the way that it works. It's all about having a readiness to give. Now, next week we're going to talk about what we give to. We're going to talk about things like checks and balances and and how do we know if a need is genuine. So when I get my email from from Pastor So and so in Nigeria saying, Oh, Brother Michael, could you please give to me? I've got this thing happening. How do I know if he's genuine? Or is this a scam that he's just wanting to steal money for a criminal organisation? How do we know if a need is genuine? And how will we know if those who are taking up a collection can be trusted? So that's what we're going to talk about next week. But for this week, let's do the first step. Let's start by giving ourselves to Jesus. Let's begin by recognizing for me to give myself to Jesus means I commit everything I have to Jesus. And that way when Jesus when when God gives you this direction to give in a certain direction you don't really have to think about whether you can afford it or not because it's his. So, and let's have the readiness to be an expression of the grace of God by giving generously. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we want to thank you that you gave yourself generously for us. We ourselves are charity cases. We are recipients of your grace. You left your, the richness of heaven so that we who are spiritually poor could be made spiritually rich. You gave us a future, Lord, with you and your glory. And, Lord, we thank you for this. And, Lord, in response to this, we, Lord, we recommit ourselves to you. Lord, we want to give our whole self to you. Everything that we are, our whole future, our hopes and our dreams, we give our families to you, we give our assets to you, we give our financial resources to you. Lord, we and everything that we have are yours. And Lord, we ask that you would give us a heart like your heart, that you would give us hearts of generosity, that we would prove our love by giving that we would give of our love, that we would give of our time, that we would give of our money, that we would give in all ways, Lord. And Lord, we pray that you would lead and guide us into that. In Jesus' name, amen.